Hi, my name is Marsha and I am an experienced digital marketing expert, SEO specialist, branding and marketing manager, social media consultant, copywriter, the occasional graphic and web designer, encoder, and e-commerce enthusiast. <laughs> well, as you can tell, uh, if you've listened to any of my other podcasts, this is not usually how I introduce myself. But I think it's apt because today I'm talking about communications. Uh, communication has to do with marketing and it kind of like gels together. So I'm kind of like trying to break things down a little bit. So uh, yeah, we have uh, different things to talk about throughout um, this podcast. So thank you, first of all, for tuning in and listening to this podcast. I love you for doing this. Mwah, mwah, mwah. I hope you come off of uh, you know after listening to this podcast with something to think about and to improve on. That's with me. Now, as a marketing person, communication is very, very important to me. The choice of words, the tone of voice, the manner in which the words are delivered, and the environment and the response all play a very important role in proper communication. Two people could be saying the same thing, but they could be up, you know, that could be up to a hundred ways to understand those words or decipher or to, you know, break apart those words. What does it mean? You know, it depends on who's saying it, when it is being said, and how it is being said, and of course the context. I will give you an example for a start of um, writing a headline for an advertisement. This is particularly long for an intro, I know, but uh, hear me up. I'm trying to set the stage up. Okay, so uh, let's uh, give a scenario for an advertisement. Let's, and you're selling perfume and you've come up with something simple yet easy to understand which is get noticed simply just that because it's easy to understand and it's kind of like you know get get noticed it's kind of like you know uh, provocative it can be said in multiple ways that can be misinterpreted or it can be understood scenario number one okay you're in the office and you're done doing a presentation you've done a splendid job and you feel proud of yourself you walk up to your colleagues and you share a round of high fives but from a corner of the room someone is watching you and as you walk out of the door you turn around and you see the group of people watching you as you exit you're noticed because of your job but also because it is assumed that you're confident because you smell good or they're catching a whiff of the scent you're wearing for the day and turned around to take a look at you. People notice these things in real life, let's admit that. Now scenario two, you're in a club and you're partying away but you're not feeling yourself that day while your friends are heating things up on a dance floor you go to the restroom spritz the perfume on and you feel refreshed and a little bit better about yourself but as you walk out the dance floor to join your friends some guys or girls up to you turn around to look at you you wink at them and say uh, you wink at them (laughs) as you walk away to join your friends it spells out pretty much the same thing in both scenarios in that the scent empowers you, gives you confidence, hence you get noticed. But get this, because the scenario in number two is in a club, it's associated differently from the scenario number one, which is in an office, just because of the environment and the people who are responding to the message. So for me, it's important to pick the right place, the right moment, the right words, tone of voice and choice of words when communicating with an audience or with a person. 
when I was freelancing, I initially had a big culture shock, uh, or more like a leap of faith into an open business world where we can reach people with uh, a simple app or even something we call VOIP device or phone. It stands for Voice Over Internet Protocol. Go check it out. It's like so many decades before. It was therefore it was a very novel idea then, and but now we are pampered with the countless number of ways we can communicate with not just people, persons, but groups of people anywhere in the world. As someone who started with those, uh, you know who's familiar with all those teething problems, I continue to be immensely fascinated with the ways with which we can use uh, to reach people across the globe, anywhere. And if we're talking about the year 2000 or 1999 and 2000 plus, uh, it wasn't very common to have clients who are located like thousands of miles, if not ten thousands of kilometers by flight from where you live. But I worked with a US company for 13 years before I was called off uh, from a long-standing project because of restructuring or maybe they finally got grown tired of me, I don't know. But this means I spent decades honing my skills in trying to communicate with people across borders and barriers. What we see as new now because of the pandemic or because of the uh, initial push towards uh, digitalization, I've seen this, them uh, some time ago. I knew it was possible because I was living it. This is of course not where communication ends. Let's dive into something much more important. Communication as a leader, a manager, a CEO, CFO, CTO, you know, COO, or the company, uh, or just the corporate big guns, you know. Let's look at into that. Okay, I'll start with communication with friends before we dive into other more serious ones. Um, not that communication with friends is unimportant, it's crucial because we are all social animals and well, many times we not only take in what our friends say, we, we are also taking in what they're not saying. Or is that just me? I'm prone to overthinking, I'll admit that much, but many times this results in two things. I am a very careful and effective communicator, sometimes honest to a fault but still effective, open, close, uh, question mark, I think. I also, number two, I become suspicious of everything. Uh, I, I won't bubble wrap everything into one category because we have different types of friends from all walks of life, but these are general things we must think about. Friendship, just like your family or marriage partners, requires effort and energy from both parties. To me, the first most important component we should work on is trust. I mean, let's lay things down as a basic component for any other forms of relationships and communication because without trust, things will fall apart. No two ways about it. So it's it's just a matter of time, right? So it's not just about con- consistently showering someone with praise or half listening to a complaint 
It's about building a foundation where you listen, understand, and deal with issues together. At this point, I found very few people whom I can say fall into the category of good listeners. So I will place this as one of the most important factors of good communication. Communication is not just about speaking your mind or sharing your thoughts. It's about listening, understanding, sharing, and responding. Both parties need to be completely involved in the process. I am not one to open up easily, and I found this to be an obstacle. So I listen to a lot, and people appreciate that uh, because, you know, when I'm willing to listen, and they they have someone to talk to, and I have a I have tight lips. I don't I don't I don't overshare. I don't tattle nothing. I don't gossip. I don't do that. So they trust me with that. But if you give me an opportunity to talk and I trust you, I think good communication between the both of us would pave a two a two way street, you know, for the to form a good relationship or a friendship. Now in a Huffington 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 Post piece, uh, Stephanie Michelle mentioned using structured dialogue. In order to improve relationships, but I've never tried it. It basically involves a 15 to 30 minutes conversation, a, a focused one. I think you know you both kind of like agree to it. So uh, yeah, revolving a topic revolve about a shared interest. It's very very doable if both parties agree to having that conversation. And let the other be open about their thoughts, be it positive or negative. Essentially, it should allow both to listen and share within the same conversation, including experiences and emotions in relation to the topic. I mean, like you know, sometimes even if you have the most well-meaning、uh, conversation, a thought-out plan, or whatever, right? It come. That there will come a time that it's like you know guys just don't agree, and if you you're having different opinions or feel different emotions, but still are able to share them during the conversation, that's probably good communication. That doesn't even have to be a resolution about anything if you're just having good conversation. But if there is conflict, such as if you're planning for a vacation or something that kind of like you're both committed to, both of you must agree to solve the conflict together, together, and both parties must have their turns in suggesting ways to deal with the issue because it's not a one-way thing. Since both are involved, as soon as we kind of like weigh in on the pros and cons of each. Suggestions. I am pretty sure if you're friends to begin with, you'll be able to find kind of like a halfway point. And compromise is a big word in any kind of relationship. The biggest red flag is when your friend starts avoiding your calls or stop trying to understand your behavior. We start trying to guess. You know what happened, or replay the scenario to try to see what went wrong. But if your friends, for me anyway, the the best way to deal with this is to approach your friends or other friends, other friends, you know, within the circle to determine the reason for the sudden reaction. Some people, however, some people are just not comfortable with direct confrontation. It's a fact. Right, <laughs> and yeah, I think I learned this early on when I was young and dating someone for the first time. Apparently, I was too confrontational. <laughs> I was, yeah, but still, I did not know why anyone would not want to think or talk about something that was bothering them in, in an honest way. I honestly did not know why. And, and yeah, that that makes me confrontational. Yeah, am I? 
I am I might am I not <laughs> but yeah that that wasn't for me anyway uh, that that wasn't me being confrontational that was just me trying to clarify things but some people are just uncomfortable with it because they feel like they're forced to have a conversation they don't want to have or they do not have the mental or emotional capacity to deal with extra anger, resentment or rejection that might comes along with having that conversation. And in this instance, some experts say that it's okay to text or email your friend telling him or her about your feelings. This is also a part of your effort to restore the friendship and understand their point of view. In this way, you can share that his or her friendship is important to you and you did not mean to hurt his or her feelings, which is very normal in any human relationship. If you wish to, tell them that you want to be able to speak to them face to face again. Because uh, I think that's very important. But here's where the, the, the fork is, you know, you need to decide if you speak when you speak face to face with your friend and things don't go as peachy as you want them to, what do you do? There needs to be first an apology, a sincere one, if you've wronged the person or if you've wronged each other, you know, uh, it has to be a roundhouse thing. Even if there was never any wrong to begin with, you might feel like your response have caused a negative emotion in your friend this is important because i feel like you know, i would feel like someone was insincere if there were there was no sorry sorry how do you say it yeah sorry i'm sorry i'm so sorry yeah so you see the difference right so even if there was no it, there was a sorry and it felt sorry there's no foundation for a friendship at all. And there needs to be a healing process, of course, if you've like accepted each other's uh, apologies. You know, there has to be healing. This can be a testy period where the, you both walk on eggshells around each other, but it's necessary. I think we have to stop the blame game around this time in order to heal the friendship or relationship. I mean, around this time, you might, uh, you guys might, you know, if you're girls to begin with, um, it's like you, you should have, you could have, yeah. I think that's like, you know, should be out of the picture. <laughs> well, um, there's something that I have to highlight here uh, because there's something called toxic relationships. If all of your effort results in nothing then you may need to cut ties with this person ending your friendship is hurtful and drastic this has to happen only if you think that this friend is not good for you personally it's damaging it's uh or it's just not uh in sync with what you had in mind for uh friendships for example, if you think that this person is trying to manipulate you, this is an outright, you know, um, default mode for like cut you off. Or if the friendship is an imbalanced one. According to the author of The Friendship Fix, if your friend does not respond to your effort to re- reconcile or heal, well, maybe it's time for him or her to make his or her own decision. On your part, you may have to accept the fact that this friendship is over because it happens. Honesty may be the best policy outside of your family, but if this is not what is usually practiced at home. I suggest picking the right type of communication depending on the family member you're dealing with. You cannot possibly be completely 
completely honest with your children because you've got to give them a white lie or two <laughs> to stop them from doing things. Like if they asked you for another cookie when you they've had a whole box, would you admit to the fact that you actually have another stash hidden somewhere else? Of course not. <laughs> Well, it's funny that I'm touching on this topic when I'm not really the best person to do so. I suck at it so bad. Well, personally, I found it easier to communicate with my kids when they were younger as compared to now because when they were younger, they took my word for everything. They're young adults now and I'm dealing with people who have the internet everywhere they go. And they would sometimes find it funny to challenge me. Haha. <laughs> I encourage it, of course, because in this house, I've often told them that I'm not 100% right all the time, but 99% I have a drawer of answers for them. <laughs> I encourage open questioning most of the time. I keep saying most of the time because it's true. Yeah, except for things that I deem as too important to question, like drugs, violence, rape, and stuff like that, you know, really serious stuff, then I do not compromise. I realize that as they grow more mature and me older, I started to think differently. Uh, in a way that, you know, changes the dynamics. I make it a point to have meals together almost all the time, especially dinner. To me, that is family time. Some families don't have this ritual and may find it hard to create a specific time where family members spend quality time together. I know of this too well and make it a point to eat together at the very least. Well, the kids have their kid stuff, their, their teenage stuff. We work long hours or are occupied till late into the night sometimes. And with their friends, my boys find games interesting. Uh, to me, that's as alien to me as neurosurgery, you know. So if you've not made it a point to schedule family time with your family members, maybe it's time to do so. Make it a point to highlight its importance to you. The idea is to create a routine. Once you've established some form of stability, there will come expectations. So, okay, if you have young children, you can read to them before they go to bed and sneak in some short conversations in between. If it's your parents, call them for 10 to 15 minutes or even longer if you want, every Sunday or whichever day works for you. It may be a little awkward or hard in the beginning, but once all of you start getting serious and committed, committed to the activity, it'll happen organically. Bear in mind that you might have to try out different activities before finding one that sticks. Family gatherings are great because it's a group setting. I think we also need some one-on-one -on -one time. Okay, so this gets a little personal, but one good example is this. My boys share the same birthday, and they definitely share a couple of interests, but their personalities are like night and day. So different. When I talk heart-to-heart -heart with one son, the other feel eh about it. And when I joke and goof around with the other, the other son will feel like we're being childish, and he won't participate. I don't schedule alone time with my boys, but I do knock on their doors respectfully when I know they're not doing any, anything important in particular. And I would intrude their pri privacy <laughs> and talk about things that they're passionate about. Um, 
as the one who initiated the conversation, don't be discouraged when you get um the response. You don't you you don't get what you thought like you know oh mom you know something like that. Make sure to o- ask open ended questions that cannot be quickly dismissed with one word answers, like how was your day. The answer will most probably be, be like good, fine, okay, so so, and etc. I have a collection of social media stuff that I think my boys would be interested in, and I use them as I see fit. Sometimes I show them the the stuff itself, the social media stuff itself. Other times I would feed off of the social media and uh, and ask them open edit questions or ask them for their opinions. And oh boy, as I have discovered, they can be opinionated, really. The thing I've learned about this is that when they start talking, shut up. Practice laughing, uh, nodding and some other reactions that encourage them to continue talking the harder thing is this when they need to talk to me and i am unavailable because of work i've worked from home for a long time and i think they've picked up a clue or two about when i am available and when i am not based on how fast I am typing on the laptop and the expression on my face. They told me that I had this pissed off look <laughs> whenever I'm tending to something urgent. And, and in that case, they would back off and probably never speak to me again until I'm smiling. <laughs> Social clues, my friends. <laughs> so I felt like I had to change this as they got older. When I'm working, I see them from the corner of my eyes. It looks like they have something to tell me, so I stop what I'm doing. I turn to them, look them in the eye, and tell them, 10 minutes. And I make sure to stick to that. If, uh, if I, have, I have to take more than 10 minutes, I would stop whatever I'm doing and let them know that it's taking longer than expected and in... If the thing could wait for another thirty minutes, I'll be I'll I'll be there. Yeah. This way they know I'm taking them seriously. I think that's the essence of you know communicating with um not just your kids but your spouse, your family members and all of that. I also want to uh let them know that I'm listening to them. And not just doing them some lip service thing. I remember what they tell me because I really want to know. The 80-20 rule applies here very well. I shut up and not and I try to understand. I will stop them only when I'm unclear about something and need to clarify it before we proceed with the conversation. It's not entirely possible to adhere to the 80-20 rule, honestly speaking. Of course, it's, it's just a, it's a concept, okay? But it works because you're paying more attention to what they're saying. And if you're saying, you're, it, I mean, what was that? And if you're asking them the right questions, they will most of the time explain it to you. I may not get everything that they're telling me, but this is what I found very helpful. When you're done talking, I take a couple of steps back and start paraphrasing it, repeating it back to them to ensure that I got it right. It reinforces the idea that I'm making an effort to understand what they're saying. Like, okay, so, you know, this... This monster that you're trying to fight, um, so it's got long legs. It's like a spider. So you cannot attack from 
the bottom, but can you fly? <laughs> but um, on a more serious note, for example, I would say like, okay, let me get this straight. So XXX is doing XXX and you feel like you're not included in this, you know, XXX thing you are all trying to do together. Am I right about this? If you've got it right, congratulations. If you've got it wrong, don't worry about it because your kid is going to repeat it back to you to make sure that you've got the whole thing right. Seriously, it's like this most of the time. Okay, so on to conflict. What if your child has a problem with another family member or they're relating their feelings to you about a conflict that involves another family member? I cannot emphasize the importance of neutrality at this point. Issues between family members, they're inevitable. It happens. But make sure to focus on the problem itself and not the fault. Uh, by being the voice of reason, you're showing that you're also on their side. Okay, so I'm going to share something really stupid, okay? It's, a, a, it's personal. It's a real thing. Okay, so I, we, the, the, we ordered our own set meals, meals at a fast food restaurant recently. What happened was that one son mistook his order and thought that the French fries on the table was his. In fact, it was the other son's French fries. The problem is, this other son, I know for a fact, like French fries a lot. To him, there isn't a point in eating fast food when there's no French fries. It's, it has always been in his orders. But his french fries was already completely consumed by the other confused kid. When this was pointed out, the french fries kid was almost fuming. I could see it in his face. But the other son started to explain himself in a most ridiculously self-defensive way possible, pissing the other son off even more. <laughs> it's a stupid thing to argue over french fries. So I tapped my son on the shoulder and I asked him to stop explaining himself. Just say sorry and ask me if we can get another order of french fries and we will and we will get another order of french fries because it is important to this son. Come on. And he did apologize. In his own brotherly way, I, I walked away. Uh, and we got a few rounds of french fries. The end. <laughs> it's a conflict because, you know, uh, one son is clueless, the other son's pissed off, you know. Yeah. So first, I needed to let the perpetrator know that it was wrong and a mistake. Then I needed to let him know that he needed to apologize, not make excuses. Just say sorry. Then I needed a solution, which was to get another round of french fries. Uh, some say this is too soft of an approach and I'm pampering them. I disagree. Absolutely disagree. I am showing them that Number one, there was a mistake and miscommunication. Number two, an apology is required. Number three, no excuses, no excuse is going to cut it because the other, person's, the other person is not pissed off. Number four, rectify the mistake. And number five, restore peace. It's a stupid and senseless almost argument between two brothers but I think it's important to deal with the situation level-headedly. At the end of the day, they did not sucker punch each other in the middle of a fast food restaurant over fries. 
Whew. If, however, you are the one who is upset over something, take a couple of minutes, if not hours or days, to think things through before speaking. I think that's really important. I'm not really good at this, but I have a tendency to like, kind of walk away without saying anything. And the thing is, if I walked away and ignored it, I would explode it one day. I don't really know when that one day will be, but I will explode. So instead of ignoring it, I turn to them and tell them, I am upset. These days, it is easier because they're adults now. So I have the liberty of joking about being upset and they get it. But if your children are young kids, let them know that you're a little upset about this and you need some time. I think they will get it. When your children are young, they don't really know what's going on, how to read your moods or even figure out what's going on. The intention is to not completely cut off lines of communication. So by the time I felt that I was ready to deal with it, I, I would just first explain how I felt and then let them explain the reasoning behind their behavior or what occurred. If you've already found a solution, suggest it. The, the, the kids are going to take it, you know. Uh, yeah, they're going to take it. <laughs> On a personal front, living with two boys, men in this household as the only female is so darn challenging. I, I don't even tell them, but I made a joke about it on TikTok and it kind of like gained momentum. <laughs> Like, you know, I can't paint my nails, yeah, put on makeup, you know, or I wear a skirt, or if I, I dress sexy, you know, they'd be like, huh? <laughs> yeah. But, you know, like, I, if, if I, if, yeah, okay. Instead of, like girls would do like oh girl oh my god i love you so much you're the queen of my heart i love you Mwah! men don't do that they they go like you know fuck you're a fuck. who cannot get your marbles together but that makes two of us Okay, the most important part, I feel, is the last part. But that makes two of us. Something like that. I'm paraphrasing here, but their world works differently. So, don't get me wrong. I'm trying to... Uh, still trying to foster positive emotions between the family members. But that's how they work, and... I, I understand that. And you have to evaluate each family member uh, individually. There's no like cookie-cutter solution to this. So I've personally seen how my kids would extend support or protection for each other in the face of external attacks. As a joke, it's like, how dare you attack my brother? Only I can attack my brother. Now you die. <laughs> hey, girls are so much easier. <laughs> Somebody is it? So this uh, <clears throat> oh, what's wrong with my voice? Ah uh, ah. Uh. <laughs> okay, so this segment is about a communicate about communication as a leader. God, I'm tongue tied. Uh, 
So um, two of the biggest leading roles I've had outside of the corporate role is number one, being a parent. That makes you a leader, all right? Number two, being the lead singer for a band. So these are the two most prominent um, roles that I've had to take on as, you know, um, fronting something, making decisions, and just being the face for uh, a number of people. And so being a parent, need I explain more? It just veers you in that direction and there's no bailing out. Not for me anyway, you know. And being a lead singer in a band, I fronted, kind of fronted the band, although the real leader wasn't, re- wasn't really me. Um, okay, here's, here, here's the thing. I may be good with written words, but I am not a natural when I need to speak to a bunch of people on stage. Go figure. It's different. Like, um, it's the same. Like, now I'm, I'm talking and speaking to you in a podcast and uh, it feels kind of like, oh, okay, it's nice. I like to do this, you know. But when you put, when the camera is on, it just kind of makes me feel awkward. So go figure. I don't know why. So, but at times when I had to take the lead, um, even when I break out in cold sweat and despite the fact that I've only have I've only experienced stage fright in my career only a handful of times. It's still frightening. In the corporate world, I found things overlapping. So let's get into it. Being a good leader is not just being paid more or uh, being asked to make decisions. Being a leader means uh, uh, you know, leading a group of people who are following you uh, and um taking your advice and, you know, uh, yeah. Without good and effective communication when you're standing in front or you're fronting a group or managing a group of people, uh, without effective communication, there is essentially no leadership or rather there'd there'd be a communication gap between executives and the management. Right, so if you want to be an effective leader, you not only need to be good at communicating ideas, thoughts, opinions, and advice, you need to be a master at it. Seriously, a study done by the Economist Intelligence Unit reveals that poor communication between the leader and workers of a company often lead to low morale, missed goals and targets, and even you know, lost leads and sales. It can cost the company a lot of money. We're talking about losing an average of $420,000 to $65 million a year due to bad communication. It's a lot of money. These are big numbers, even for large conglomerates. And since I'm in the marketing and sales line, if this happens for two to three years in a row, a few heads are really going to roll. Well, as with all other types of communications we've covered so far, communication between bosses and their workers require trust as well. Without it, there's no way you can inspire or motivate people to give their all to a company that they're working for. Like, In fact, they, they, they'll just turn up, do their thing, go home and get paid. I bet that's not the kind of employee you're looking for. So a leader with good communication skills empowers and inspires those around them to work towards a common goal. Some would go as far as to say that good communication skill is like a, a superpower to, to a leader. you know. So first of all, pers- I personally think that one-on-one conversation with people working under you is extremely important. Just as important as the Shark Tank meetings or the morning huddles. And this is because everyone responds to things differently and there's no one single style that suits everyone. So poor communication could lead to unclear priorities and stress. And I think leaders need to adapt to the communication style of each individual employee. And it's tiring. It's, it's essential. This can be done when you're interacting with them and perceiving their reactions and personal personalities uh, individually. 
Well, just to share with you, I once had a leader who liked to pitch one person against another in an effort to elevate their motivation level and to improve because the other is deemed stagnant or arrogant. I don't think pitching one employee against another intentionally, I let me just add, he did this intentionally, is going to raise good morale, period. It created, it created instead a rivalry that was unnecessary and stressful for every one of us involved. To this day, I don't understand why the style was adopted because all of us made no friends while working together. So where's the teamwork in that, right? Well, another good skill for a leader to have is the listening one. The one where they ask the right questions at the right time and attentively listen to you when you talk. Personally, as someone who is always reading between the lines and sense and being senselessly sensitive, I know you can't cannot fake genuine care for another person. It tells us a lot if the boss continues to check his or her email or you know he or she is replying text while having a conversation with us, doesn't it? In my lifetime of working for and with people from all around the world, I've found only a handful of leaders who are transparent about what's really going on. So management knows you know, what's happening behind the scene. And even if the executives don't know, don't know the real thing, sometimes they don't need to know the real thing. They don't have to have the whole big picture. Word is going to get around. And if the leader chooses not to be transparent, it's pretty suspicious. When a leader speaks openly about the company's goals and how it is going to achieve them, people have a clearer idea of where they are going together as a team, as a company. If there are challenges and we know about it, we are prepared and ready for them. In fact, when leaders share the challenges, you'll never know. Someone may have a couple of good ideas or they are willing to share their experiences or add in a few extra hours a day to a day to help the company rise above the challenges, you know. So in my personal opinion, leaders should be good at creating safe spaces where people are allowed to make mistakes, voice their thoughts, and even say some stupid things and, you know, not be judged by it. The more transparent a leader is, the easier it is for workers to connect with you. Leaders can, under no circumstance, be vague about goals when communicating them to the team. You need to express the desired results clearly and very, 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 very specifically. Confusion means the worker is lost. How does one work on anything when they're lost? They'll be asking themselves or their other colleagues, so what's this about? I don't know, but I think it's about making 10 million sales a month. What? Wasn't it like 4 million? How? Beats me. This kind of conversation, if your workers are having this kind of conversations, um, imagine how they're going to prioritize their work or focus. And here's the one more thing that I have yet to find in a good leader, and that's the ability to take feedback and implement it. Asking feedback from the team is one thing. Making an effort to implement it is another You'll see amazing results if you are able to build trust in the team this way. It's critical. If you continue to get feedback from the team and they see that nothing's been done, they're going to lose faith in you eventually, right? And it's, it's natural and it's okay if you cannot push the idea through. Just let the team know that you've tried your best and you might try again another time. And the team won't really, really mind, you know, because... If they know that you you take their feedback seriously, it's actually a morale boost. What I found in one good leader was his his ability to connect with us normal executives on a personal level. He, I'm sure, earns a whole lot more than us, has way more experience and shoulder more responsibilities. But he is not... He is known only through his... uh, he's He's not the kind of person who's like, you know, the just emails you or texts you or uh, sends you messages and stuff like that, he would actually pop by the corner where we hang out once in a while for a break and tell, you know, his side of the story. And it's always interesting. And I know for a fact that as as our leader, he's 
privy to all those top-level information that he's not able to divulge to us, but he explains things in a simplified way um, to us and made us see that he was human and suffering too. It's It wasn't complaining, it was connecting. So when a team feels connected to you, you are in a better position to sign, like align expectations, inspire self-motivated actions, and spreading vision. The leader would find ways to communicate it in a timely, accurate manner to the team members without overloading them. They, the team needs direction. The team needs clarity. Things that help the team go do our jobs better. So another challenge for leaders is to push the team members past their comfort zones because they believe in us, you know, they empower and trust us to do the right thing because they think we are committed and skilled at what we do. That's something missing in a lot of leaders because I think um, in the corporate world, it's very common for um, people to challenge each other. And that's not wrong because challenging each other uh, creates, what do you call it, check and balance and that's a very, very important thing uh, when it comes to getting job, getting a job done and uh, achieving our goals, right? So, uh, yeah. And yeah, I'll end it here, right? As a leader, every time you speak, it is an audition. Think about it this way, you know. Um, and you understand the importance of good communication from you as a leader of a team. So before I sign off, thank you so much. There are so many things I wish uh, to talk about when it comes to communication. It's such a big topic. It has a wide breadth um, and, and spread, you know. Like one ex big example would be uh, about written and spoken types of communication related to both personal and professional life. But I think this podcast is going to explode if I, I included them. So, but thank you so much for listening this far. I really appreciate it and love you. I hope you will tune in again next time to listen to me ramble on and on and on about various topics that I find interesting. You can shoot me an email or um, message me via social media if you want me to explore and talk about a particular topic, right? I'm, I'm always open. Uh, as a side note, I've been getting a lot of stuff on this topic that I find a little funny, which is topic about teenagers and their relationships with their parents. They're, they're on my feed. Like, why? I have no idea. <laughs> but still, it's, it's fun to look at some of those responses because not everyone's the same. So some advice given by others were very enlightening. So, uh, yeah, so thank you once again, and I hope you'll tune in, in again. Bye, stay healthy, stay safe, and be happy. Bye.